The real Kalahomu says the constitution can never deliver the law. Its primary duty is to regulate the application of the law, which is made by parliament. Rafael says, hi, Orbs, the constitution has failed us. Voters have given a, a now obsolete and useless parliament overlord powers to the point, uh, to the point that uh, politicians and officials disrespect and ignore the very constitution they supposedly protect. Cry, South Africa, cry, says Raphael. Well, joining me uh, for uh, general but in-depth conversation is Gogo Tungezweni or um seasoned political uh, analyst and commentator, but also uh, somebody with a very deep, deep spiritual eye. And I'm really looking forward to uh, have a conversation with him about all of these general things. International Court of Justice is convening tomorrow. And they will be delivering their verdict on South Africa's case against uh, Israel. Uh, That seems to be the central thing at the moment on my mind as to a catalyst for a lot of other things that may take place domestically and um, um, uh, uh, globally, if we can put it that way. Um, But the question that I am asking is, what are the issues that are going to underline and underlie the way that we think about how we vote as South Africans. But I do want to start with what happens tomorrow at 2 p.m. South African time as the ICJ comes up with a verdict on that particular issue. Good evening to you, uh, Koko Obrimati. That was on call. So, what are your thoughts? Well, with your permission, let me start with a warning. A warning that comes from a vision I had last night. It is a vision about the country and it is a vision about the world. What I'm showing in this vision is a mountain of burning hot ash. What is it that was burning? What is it that is burning? Human beings. Human beings were burnt to ash, and their ash has now become a pile as high as a mountain. Another thing that is interesting is that this mountain of ash is a perfect circle. We can interpret this vision literally and symbolically the circle is the world the burning ash with bodies of human beings that have bent beyond recognition and have been reduced to ash represent the kinds of instability mayhem and chaos that we are going to face in this country and in the world as a whole. If we do not heed the warning that always comes with these visions, and the warning is, the things that we are warned about are not inevitable. The things we are warned about 
are avoidable depending on what we choose to do. Another way of looking at this vision, it is a vision about the state of the human condition. And what the vision suggests is that if our choices and decisions are wrong, the human condition will suffer for the worse and will be worse than what we see today in Gaza, what we see today in Ukraine, what we see today in Sudan, what we see in the east of uh, the DRC, uh, the, 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 the brewing tensions uh, along the Taiwan Strait, with Taiwan uh, positioned, interestingly, to its north, Japan to its south, um, the Philippines. And what is brewing here is the possibility uh, of a war if wrong choices are made between China and Taiwan. And you look at what happened in Ecuador recently, where criminal syndicates almost perpetrated a coup, something that is usually perpetrated by political actors. But what we see here are criminal syndicates on the verge of perpetrating a coup in Ecuador. We look at the chaos that is brewing in this country. Now, because all things are connected, what this vision is telling us is that all things chaotic are connected too. Chaos in one part of the world may become chaos in all parts of the world or most parts of the world. But we must always go back to the warning. The things that we are warned about are not inevitable, are avoidable, depending on the choices we make and the decisions we make as humanity. A piece of advice, this is a wish on my part. The solution is both difficult and easy. Mm. Easy because it sounds easy. Difficult because it is something very difficult to do. I would like to call upon everyone in this country and in the world to do this difficult thing expressed in these very easy words. We must all love the other more than we love ourselves. So the Bible says you must love your neighbor as you love yourself. I am saying that is not enough. The world we want to create must be a world in which we all love the other more than we love ourselves. The Jew must love himself and herself more than he or she loves the Palestinian. The Palestinian must love the Jew more than he loves himself. The Christian must love the Muslim more than he loves himself or herself. The Hindu must love the Buddhist more than he loves himself. The Hindu must love the Muslim 
more than he loves himself and the muslim must love the hindu more than he loves himself the white person must love the other more than he loves himself the black person must love the other more than he loves himself do you know why because if we adhere to a very important buddhist principle to love the other is to love yourself just imagine if you achieve the goal of loving the other more than you love yourself remembering that to love the other is to love yourself because what i do to you i do to me what you do to me you do to yourself you, you do to yourself and so when i look at all these possible conflagrations around the world it seems to me all of humanity must set itself the goal of loving the other more than we love ourselves imagine if we commit ourselves to this goal and we fail where we are going to land is a much better place than we are at the moment it speaks of a forfeiture at some level of certain rights that we may believe we have the call to love the other more than i love myself the operative word here being more yes than i love myself suggests that i must be willing to forfeit certain real or perceived rights that i am imbued with by natural law natural justice well all the things including laws which are an impediment to the achievement to this goal are things we can do without you know um there's a book i'm reading at the moment i'm reading it slowly because it is so insightful so i take long breaks it's a book called uh, the, the the law of light the secret teachings of jesus christ and it, it is a book about the values and principles beliefs religious and otherwise of the community in which jesus grew up the essenes one of the things they say is that you must not own anything you cannot give up <laughs> and and that dovetails quite nicely with another insight we get from the philosopher j krishna murti when he says we must free ourselves from the known <laughs> now of course this is not possible if we are attached now buddhism teaches us that what causes human suffering is attachment i think i've said to you before that the opposite of attachment is not detachment the opposite of attachment is freedom now if you are attached to a right as something you cannot give up 
because you are incapable of freeing yourself from the no, you must think about that right and any other thing that you have become attached to. Whether it is a, a country, whether it is a political party, your partner, your property, your wealth, all of it. In this book, The Law of, of Light, we are advised that we must not own anything that we cannot give up. And Buddhism, on its part, advises us against attachment because attachment causes suffering. But it causes something else. It causes separation. And the separation causes pain to the one we cannot love more than I mean, we, can, we cannot love more than we love ourselves. Mm. So that suffering and that separation is the thing or are the things that cause us to visit pain and suffering, suffering upon another. But sometimes we can be so attached to our own pain. Mm. And it is that attachment which causes us to visit pain upon others. I always say that that you are a victim of oppression, that untold suffering was visited upon you, is not evidence of your purity. And it does not mean you will not visit the same or worse pain and suffering on another. And this is why I'm in a state of despair about those who experienced the suffering of a Holocaust but are today perpetrating a genocide in Palestine. And it's because they cannot put themselves in a position where they love the other more than they love themselves. What happened on the 7th of of October happened for the same reason. That sometimes we attach ourselves more to our hatred of the other than to our love for the other and therefore the, the, and therefore the imperative to love the other more than we love ourselves. Mm-hmm. If we cannot do this, that is, to love others more than we love ourselves, forget about peace in the world. Mm-hmm. Peace is not possible in the world unless we love the other more than we love ourselves. But despite all of the arguments that you can present to show your justification for visiting the hatred upon the other, despite how just those arguments may even sound, if, as I understand you, you are unable to forfeit that right to say, I will forfeit that right. I will love the other 
more than I love myself. Only then do we facilitate and open the door for peace. Yes, because if I love you, Aubrey, more than I love myself, and at the same time you love me more than I love myself, imagine what is possible in that situation. Mm -hmm. But to love you more than I love myself, is not to avoid difficult conversations. Mm. If I cannot tell you you are wrong, if I cannot tell you that what you are doing is fundamentally unjust, I do not love you. Mm. If the Palestinian cannot tell the Israeli that what you are doing to me is fundamentally unjust, the Palestinian does not love the Israeli. If the Israeli cannot tell the Palestinian that you caused me pain on the 7th of October, the Israeli does not love the Palestinian more than he loves himself. If the Ukrainian cannot tell the Russian that what you are doing to me is wrong, the Ukrainian does not love the Russian more than he loves himself. If the Chinese cannot tell the American about that which is wrong about the American. The Chinese does not love the American. If the American cannot tell the Chinese that there are things about you that are problematic, that must change, the American does not love the Chinese. Imagine, however, all of this exchange of integrity has to happen within the context of the understanding of the need to be frank and authentic with each other without it having to be toxic. If, if I truly love you, if I truly love you, and I truly love you more than I love myself, it will cause me pain to tell you are wrong. It will cause me pain because your pain is more important to me than my pain. But if I truly love you more than I love myself, it is a pain I must go through. The pain of telling you that you are wrong is a pain that I must go through. And if you, in turn, love me more than you love yourself, the pain caused to you by me telling you you are wrong may be less important than the pain caused to me by telling you you are wrong. I want us to go into the winds that are going to influence what South Africa looks like prior, during, and perhaps after the elections that are coming up. Well, And I I want to ask that question within the context of what you have spoken of about loving the other more than you love yourself. And that, yes, it sounds right. It sounds right. I'm talking now when I take off my 
my ecclesiastical jacket, my spirituality, just, just from a fundamental place. It sounds right, the formula you, you, you propose. It sounds right. But the reality is that we live in a world where people don't share the ideals and values that you propose. Where people act most of the time in self-interest because they are asleep to the issues that you raise. The intelligence of of the ideal you propose. We are going towards elections. There are a number of issues at the moment that brew in South Africa connected, as you've pointed out, to what's happening globally. What, as you look deeper into the way that the elections are going to unfold, are the issues that are going to drive voter behavior come the elections? Well, let me check something um, before I proceed. Are you, are you sitting? I'm sitting. Because down. I need you to be sitting. I'm, I'm seated. Before <laughs> I, I say what I'm, I, I'm about to say, because you may fall because of shock. <laughs> this election mm. is a non-event. <laughs> but a very important non-event nonetheless. But a non-event nonetheless. Mm. Let me me start with this message I started with. The reason so many in our country are in a state of despair is because those who govern do not love us more than they love themselves. Mm. Those in the ANC the ruling party do not love us, do not love this country more than they love themselves. Those in the EFF do not love us more than they love themselves. Those in the DA do not love us more than they love themselves. You can, you can talk about any political party here. Our political class is a political class that loves itself more than it loves us. Our politicians do not love us more than they love themselves. That is why we are here. Why do I say this election is a non-event? I say this election is a non-event because all the things we have dreamt up as the things that will change when the ANC is removed or when the ANC falls below 50% are things that are not going to happen. (laughs) And if they do happen, they will not happen significantly or sustainably. In other words, the idea that an election can deliver fundamental change is an idea that I contest and contest deeply. This election and the next million elections we're going to have in this country 
are not going to deliver fundamental change. The kind of change South Africans dream of daily. That is not going to happen. It is not going to happen because the primary problem is not the ANC. The primary problem is not even the political class itself. The primary problem is not the constitution. The primary problem is not our electoral system. The primary problem is our political system. Or we can extend that to something a bit broader than that. Ours is a liberal democracy and by definition, liberal democracy globally delivers much less than it promises. And therefore what the world, the so-called democratic world of which we are part, has fallen into is the trap of a narrow electoralism. The idea that fundamental change can occur through an election. When what we should be doing, looking at the entirety of what constitutes our democratic space, is to look within that space for things, other things that you can use to effect the kind of change we are dreaming about. But of course, the political system is not going to change tomorrow. I'm not that naive. It's not going to change tomorrow. So I'm not saying tomorrow our liberal democracy must die. What I am saying, however, is that this election, because it is not going to deliver fundamental change, a month after the election, three months after the election, or a year or two years or three years after this election, South Africans will feel cheated. And because they will feel cheated, their confidence in our democracy will fall even further, will be eroded even further. Now, remember, people like uh, us who theorize about uh, democracy tend to talk about voters and citizens as mindless. Whereas our voters, particularly black voters, are quite astute. Now, what I've just said now may sound clever, but as I say it, I can tell you now, many voters are saying, da, you are just being tried in your attempt yes. at sounding intelligent. Yes. In this way. Look at the numbers, Aubrey. Look at the numbers. In the last election, only about a third of South Africans who are eligible to vote bothered to turn up on voting day. That means that close to 70% of South Africans who are eligible to vote did not bother to turn up in the last local government election in 2021. 
not because they are apathetic. The problem is not apathy. Firstly, by not voting, they are exercising a democratic right. And they are taking a democratic option. But, you see, what we tend to do is that we kick a dog, the dog bites us, and we blame the dog. We do the same with voters. Voters can see that the kind of change they thought elections would deliver has not materialized. So for them, elections do not deliver the kind of change they dream about. But they take another step forward. To them, the failure is not that of the ANC as a ruling party. The failure is that of the democratic project. The democratic project is failing them, is failing to deliver. And therefore, elections as part of the democratic project are failing them. Now, the question then is, in this, what I call a non-event of an election, and I'm, I'm I'm saying a non-event because in relation to what our people desire, this election is not going to deliver. Like the one before that and the one before that. What do our people desire? And would you have said the same thing in 1992? In other words, and I want you to keep that central question in mind that says, what do our people desire? But I'm asking the question on the basis of, do you think that the democratic project as envisaged in 1992 would have delivered the kinds of changes that South Africans want and the the reality of 2024 23-24 and the accompanying democratic project led by the African National Congress. Why is it a failure? Why is the democratic process a failure in post-apartheid? But would you have said the same thing pre-post-apartheid? Pre-94. Yeah. Well, pre-94, as, as, as you know, um, I took up weapons to fight apartheid because my analysis uh, of apartheid society was much worse than my analysis of post-apartheid society or our neo-apartheid reality. I I say it's a a neo-apartheid reality because there are many features post-apartheid that are not dissimilar to what obtained um, during apartheid. So my sentiments would have been harsher before 1994. Now, 1994 was a very important breakthrough. Hence, some of us refer to it as the democratic breakthrough. A breakthrough because through it, we were given an opportunity to create 
other opportunities opportunities that would lead to a better life for all south africans now of course for both objective reasons or realities beyond our control but also because of subjective subjective weaknesses on the part of the ANC and subjective subjective weaknesses on our part as the electorate as the electorate yep south africa is not where we imagined it would be today now of course it would be wrong to pretend south africa is where it was on the 27th of april 1994 south africa has moved But at the same time, deficits have been developing since 1994. And to some extent, the gap between what is promised and what is actually delivered has widened. Now, another way I talk about this uh, phenomenon is to talk about it as a situation where our democracy has done very well when it comes to the administrative dimensions. We vote every five years, an important right we did not have before 1994. We have freedom of expression, freedom of association, and other rights and freedoms, rights and freedoms we did not have. And you can look at simple things like electricity, water, housing, There are many South Africans today who live in a house compared to prior 1994. There are many South Africans today who can press a switch and there's light. Something the majority of South Africans did not enjoy before 1994. So in administrative terms, yes, we have done well. But... For how long is that light on? Mm. For how long does that water run out of your tap? And that leads us to something else. The substantive dimensions of our democracy. Does the 82.9% metric pass rate somehow translate into employment for those people that have passed? Well, you are right. And and I, I, I want to say it is too early for me to offer a critique of the pass rate. There is a lot that is obscured by the pass rate. The number, yeah. yeah. So, so the pass rate hides much more than it reveals. But I do not want to rubbish the hard work of children who for 12 years sure, sure. worked for this moment. Yeah. At another time, we can come back to doing a proper critique of what is it that lies hidden within this pass rate and what it is that is not revealed. So, so the, point, the short point I was trying to make is this, that in administrative terms, we have done very well. In substantive terms, that is, in terms of what a democracy is supposed to deliver in relation to a better life for all, we have not done as well. But some of our failures as a country stem from the subjective weaknesses and failures of the ruling party.
And that is why some people seem to think that all we need is to replace the ANC with another party and South Africa will become a nirvana of prosperity and wealth. That's not the case. Because to think so is to mischaracterize the crisis, is to pretend that our political crisis is limited to the crisis that the ANC has become and to the crisis in the ANC. Ours is a much more generalized political crisis. And therefore, what, we is, what is it that the democratic order is failing to deliver or to be, regardless of who is at the helm? Because what I'm hearing you say is that ANC or no ANC, and that is not to deny the crisis that the ANC is and has become and has caused. That's not to deny that. But you seem to be pointing to a greater systemic problem of a, an order, of a democratic order that is wanting. What is it that this democratic order is missing? regardless of who is elected to govern? Well, maybe I should reduce this to my own desires. Desires for my family. Desires for and wishes and hopes for my children. My friends and their children. And therefore, my hopes and desires for all South Africans. I want every South African to live a life of joy. And a life of joy entails certain basic things. Do I work and is my work fulfilling? Did I and are my children getting the kind of education that will make them not just productive citizens, but good people. Do I have enough food? Do my neighbors and my family have enough food? Is there enough shelter for all those who need shelter? Are there enough clothes? I can go on. So we, 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 we can write a treatise about yeah. what citizens need and desire, but it boils down to these simple needs. Now, you cannot make an elephant, a three-legged elephant for that matter, run like a four-legged cheetah. The three-legged elephant for me is liberal democracy. It doesn't matter how many times you consolidate it, as democratic theorists keep on telling us, that the imperative is to consolidate democracy, which to me is a very conservative idea, because we must ask questions about what is it that you are consolidating exactly? Is it something that we should be consolidating? Liberal democracy is not something we should be consolidating. There's a grandmother who calls from time to time, who many years ago asked a question that is becoming clearer in what you're saying 
now, and it's something that I've spoken about. She said, prior to 1994, we were fighting for freedom. And in 1994, we were given democracy. <laughs> um, I, I'll say this. Yes, it's all unshake Because, you know, she's pointing at something I think about a lot. Those of us, those of us, of us who fought in the liberation struggle, were we fighting for democracy or for freedom? I was fighting for freedom and democracy is the means by which or is one of the means by which that freedom I hoped would be achieved. But not just any kind of democracy. So, so, so my problem is, yes, I agree. Democracy is the means by which we will achieve freedom. One of the things we are not doing Instead of mimicking the liberal democracies of Europe, America, and so on, um, we do not do something different, different from mimicking these liberal democracies, is, is to sit down and say, what does democracy mean to me? So if I say, one of the questions a democracy must answer is, do I have enough food, shelter, good education, work that is fulfilling, and so on? Do instead, I have enough instead, leisure? Yeah. Instead of, do we have a constitution? Well, you see, here's my thing about the constitution. The Constitution represents the triumph of a particular worldview, particular ways of being, particular ways of doing. So the, 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 the Constitution represents the triumph of a particular way of being in the world. So the Constitution isn't innocent. No, 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 it's not innocent. In other words, the Constitution doesn't represent an objective emergence of reality. It's not an objective reality, no. Uh, it is a product of a series of subjective um, uh, interests. That's not the same as saying it is a bad thing, no. As long as when we say it is the best constitution in the world, we do not think it is innocent. No, it is not innocent. The constitution is not innocent. Uh, those who conceived the ideas that went into it were not innocent in their thinking. They, they, they were impelled by a particular worldview, ways of seeing, ways of doing and ways of being. And that is why I, I so many times I keep on saying that the Freedom Charter says South Africa belongs to all who live in it, and it should. 
including those who skate on crocodiles to enter into the country. Hmm. South Africa should belong to all who live in it. But it does not. South Africa belongs to those who conquered it. And I will repeat something else I keep on saying. South Africa belongs to those who conquered it because those who conquered it are a numerical minority that has become a cultural majority whose ways of seeing, whose ways of doing and being and, and uh, worldview have become the dominant social, political, economic and cultural reality. And those who are the numerical majority are a cultural minority whose worldview whose ways of seeing, whose ways of doing are subordinate to the worldview, the ways of doing, the ways of seeing, and the ways of being of the cultural majority, this cultural majority, which is a numerical minority. The constitution is one of the products or consequences of this reality I'm describing. But I'm not saying it's a bad thing. No, no, I hear you. What then? is going to be the, as we close, the main issue that these elections are going to be contending with. Unfortunately, we are going to reduce this election to one issue and one issue only, the ANC. Listen to all these parties. They are saying, vote for me, I'm not the ANC. Mm. That's the message coming from almost all these political parties. And what consciousness should South Africans then have given that reality? The consciousness they must have is this. This election, like the one before, is going to be a non-event, but an important non-event. Therefore, go out and vote in your millions. Because by voting in this non-event, you may open up enough space for us to create opportunities for something greater than what we are and what we have in this country at the moment. Koko, to me, as always, thank you.